Good morning, FBI family. Good morning to those who are joining us online. So hopefully you guys had a good weekend. My wife and I, we had a chance to go down to, uh, to the zoo and then my first time in Charleston, so it was pretty cool. Um, announcements. This week's uh, Deacon of the Week is Brad Wright, so he's right there, he's over there, and his phone number is up here, so if you have anything, uh, you can call him, feel free to call him. Announcements that we have worship every Sunday, or Sunday school, there will be Sunday school today. Uh, there, will, there will be Bible study tonight. Uh, Wednesday night, we have our youth and children and adult, same time, 6.30, uh, or 5.30, dinner will be at 5, 5.30. We also have uh, our youth barbecue coming up. That is the big thing coming up uh, for next month. It is May 22nd. It starts from 11 to 7 p.m. And then youth, we will be here Friday night. We'll, we will work, but uh, once we get the tickets out, we will have those and we will uh, start selling those. VBS, if you want to volunteer, or, or, or I'm urging you to volunteer, there's a sign-up sheet in the back, and, in the front lobby, so go ahead and fill out your name and, 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 and what you would like to serve in, whether it's arts and crafts, snacks, recreation, class leader, music and worship, or Bible studies or, or other areas. So uh, we will be having VBS this, this summer. So I'm pretty excited for that. Last, last year we didn't have it because of COVID. So uh, other than that, uh, let's go ahead and greet each other.
Well, good, good morning, church. Well, this morning, the deacon's reading is from Psalms 133, and it reads, Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Father, we just thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy that you give us each and every day. Father, we don't deserve it. But Father, you paid the ultimate price. You sent your son to pay our sins. Father, I just lift up uh, many this weekend, Father, that are traveling, give them traveling mercies. Father, those that are in a marriage ministry, I just pray for them, pray for safe travel as well. Father, I lift up uh, educators, students, parents, Father, as a new schedule begins with them tomorrow uh, for the rest of the school year. Be with them uh, for schedule change, um, just working their lives. Father, it didn't catch you by surprise. You knew ahead of time um, the schedule change that was going to take place. And Father, as Pastor Michael comes this morning, I just pray that you just be with him, give him the words to speak to your people. And Father, again, thank you for uh, sending your son to pay the ultimate price. Father, it is your name we pray. Father, please love, Father we love you. Amen. Y'all stand this morning as we worship together. sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested my life began ash was redeemed only beauty my orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested, my life began Oh, your grace so free washes over me You have made me new It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new, now life begins with you. Release from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, he faithfully canceled my debt and he called me his friend when death was arrested my life began oh your grace so 
washes over me You have made me new Now life begins with you It's your endless love Pouring down on us You have made us new Now life begins with you Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand That's when death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace so free washes over God is greater, our God is stronger, 
God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God, oh, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God. God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, oh our God, oh our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? Then what could stand against? Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. This time if you'd like to come forward and pray, we invite you as the altar is open. pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you that you have loved us. You have loved us with such a great love that you sent your son to die in our place, to become sin for us, to take upon himself your wrath so that we would be spared. And because of that great love, we can gather here this morning. We can sing praises to you. We can celebrate who you are. And we know that on this day and every day into the future, we have hope. We have hope because we have experienced your great mercy, peace, and love. And God, I pray... I pray that we would take that great love and we would show it to a world lost and dying, full of sin and despair, desperately needing you. God, I pray for those this morning who are sick, some in our family of faith, others in our community who are hurting. God, we pray for grace and peace to them. God, we pray for healing 
God, we pray for hope. God, we know that there are families struggling even this morning. And God, I pray, I pray that you would lift their eyes up because they, God, they can hope in you. God, I pray for our church that you would continue to lead and guide us. God, as some are away this morning ministering to others, God, we pray that you would give them, God, fruit for their efforts and that, God, you would bring them home safely. God, we pray for your guidance as a church as we seek to minister to the community around us. God, help us to be faithful in sharing your truth and sharing your word. God, help us to remain faithful even in the the face, God, of great difficulties that we know are ahead. God, we trust that you're with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. And God, your perfect plan is being worked out, unfolded before our eyes each day. And God, we are grateful that you're in control. God, help us to submit to your control. And God, through our submission, guide us where you would have us to go. God, I pray that what we do this morning is honoring to you, glorifying to you as we praise your name and worship in spirit and in truth. Guide our worship. God, thank you for your spirit dwelling within us. It gives us hope. It helps us to worship. That illuminates your word. It saves us from our sin. God, we thank you for your grace for your truth this morning as we pray in the precious name of Christ.
victory won, and may I reach heaven's joys, O oh, bright heaven's sun, O oh, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Holy Father, we come to you this morning and we just thank you. We thank you that words that have been written so long ago still have meaning today in our lives. Father God, that we still believe that it is you and you only first in our heart. That the riches of this world, they matter not because you are our inheritance. Father God, we pray that these would not just be words that we sing in a song, but they would be the true heartfelt desires of our soul. That we truly would believe that heart of my own heart, whatever happens, you're our vision, you're our ruler. Father God, we just pray this morning that we would give everything that we have to you, that we would let down the barriers that prevent us from making true change, authentic change in our lives, that we would let your word absolutely take over our souls and our hearts this morning, that we would let you be the true ruler. Father God, we just pray that you would give pastor words to say, Father God, that are from you, that our souls long and need to hear, that you would help us be the light to this world, the salt of the earth, Father God. We love you, we worship you, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. All right, if you're going to Children's Church, you can come up here with Brad and Faith. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. As we think about the song that we just sang together, an old song, I don't know how old, Andrew, but old, and yet it describes a particular struggle. I think we all suffer from and have to plead with God about. God, be thou my vision. I posted a question on social media yesterday or Friday. What is most valuable to you in this life? What is most valuable to you? If you saw that, I hope you took a moment to think about it. 
according to research that has been done by the Pew Research Study, things that we would expect are most valuable to many Americans. Family, friends, their career, money, hobbies, health, their home, their learning. These things at different levels were valuable to many people. They're the things that they cherished most, the things that they invested the most time in. Some of them we would look at, and matter of fact, all of them I think we could look at and say, these things are good. It is good to invest time in your friends or your career or your family or your health. When given an open-ended question, only about 20% came back and mentioned anything to do with faith. And even less in mentioning that were specific, were specific enough to mention Jesus, a very low percentage. And yet, as this song that we, we just sang, and Andrew and I did not talk before the service, but yet, what a most appropriate song, Be Thou My Vision. Out of all of these things, out of all of these things that we can have as a high priority in our life, a thing that we cling to and love and cherish, the, the thing that we should desire most is that Christ would be our vision. That He would be the thing that we hold on to most. And what we find as we go through Acts chapter 14 is in particular two men who held Christ as the utmost thing in their life. Everything else fell to second or further down. Nothing else rose to the level of Jesus as their vision. Jesus as that thing, that person, that object of their most affection. And how radically does it change their life when Christ is their vision? I invite you to join with me. We stand this morning in reverence to God's Word as we read Acts chapter 14 together. And as we do, we ponder this question, what is most valuable in this life? The Bible says this, beginning in verse 1, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and of the surrounding countries, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright, and began 
Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We, are, we also are men of nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every city, with, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia and to Pamphylia, and they had spoken the word to Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And there remained no little time with the disciples. You may be seated. What's most valuable? What's most valuable to you in this life? As you think about that, as you think about what is most valuable, we are drawn into these two disciples, these two apostles who went preaching the word of God. And it was not easy. It was not a simple task. Paul would talk about bearing the scars of the work that he had done in Christ. He bears these scars of being stoned to the point that they thought he was dead. And yet he continued on. These apostles had decided that what was most valuable to them in this life was Jesus. And because Jesus is most important to them, they committed themselves that no matter what would happen to them in this life, they would preach the good news. They would proclaim it no matter where they went and no matter what the cost was. They would proclaim it whether they were talking to the poorest person in the city or the most influential. They would proclaim the good news. We must decide today what is most valuable to us in this life. 
if it is going to be the good news, then we must make it our, our sole effort to proclaim the good news. If God is going to be our vision, if He is going to be our vision, no matter what comes in life, no matter what else presents itself, no matter what other opportunities we have, then we must commit ourselves to proclaiming the good news. As we go through this, we will see truly that Paul and Barnabas treasured Jesus above all things. How did we then get the good news to the people who most desperately need it? I think we can follow their example. We began in verse 1, verses 1 through 7, by seeing that the good news is proclaimed through the teaching of the Word. Look what happens there. They, they come to this city together. They enter into a synagogue and they begin to speak. They had had this opportunity other places and they come here and they begin to speak. And we are told in verse 1 that a number of both Jews and Greeks believed. This is good. This is what we want. This is what we hope for. Is that when God's good news is proclaimed, people will believe. If you have been at church a long time and heard the good news but never believed, today is the day to believe. To turn from the other things you are doing in life, the other beliefs that you have, and believe the good news that Jesus proclaims. But there's a problem in verse 2. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. What do we do when the good news is opposed? Sometimes we get angry. We get angry because if it's the thing that we value most and someone else doesn't value it or they try to devalue it, we get angry about that. That's not what they do. Verse 3, so they remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. What did they do? They counteracted this, this poisonous word that is being given by teaching the word of God. And it took a while. You know, sometimes we hear people say things about God that we know are not true. They say things about His Word that we know are not true. And our inclination is to get angry and, and, and holler and say, this is, this is why that's wrong, this is not right. But we don't take the time, the time that is actually required, the investment of time that is necessary to teach them what is true and right. It takes a long time. I was grading two papers this week. These are master's level students. And they had butchered some of their doctrine in their paper. These are people that have been studying a long time and they still got it wrong. It's possible that even if you've been in church your entire life, you may have some views about God that are wrong. Why? Because you created them in your mind and they've not been informed by the Scripture. That's why it takes a long time. It takes a long time of teaching God's Word for us to know God. How do we share the good news? How is it proclaimed? It's proclaimed through the teaching of the Word. 
And that's what they do. And God was gracious to them. We look at the end of verse 3. God bore witness to the word of his grace. In other words, as they proclaimed, God was bearing witness. His spirit bearing witness about what they were doing. He granted them signs and wonders done by their hands. And this proclaimed his word to the people that were watching. And we would think that that would be enough, right? Everyone would see that and hear that. And man, they would rush to come to faith. I mean, the the apostles, what did they hold? They held Jesus as most precious. The most important thing in their life. And they are proclaiming him boldly. And surely everyone came to faith. But look at verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Isn't it interesting that sometimes there are things that we really hold as important that others don't? Because see, in, in life, it's, it's very hard. Once we get past Jesus, it's, it's very hard to begin quantifying how this thing is more important than that thing, right? Because some of you think sports are really lame, and others of us think sports are pretty awesome. But we look at some of the things in your life and go, and they think, they think I'm weird for liking sports. But this is the most important thing. The most important thing ever. Christ is the person with the most value. Our salvation is the greatest object of our affection, or at least should be. The inheritance that we have in Christ is more valuable than any item we could have on the face of the earth, even if we had the whole earth. Christ is more valuable. And yet, these men, as they proclaim the word of God, they proclaim the truth of God. God demonstrates his power through them. The city was divided. Some sided with the Jews. Some sided with the apostles. Even when the evidence was abundantly clear, there were still those who would not submit and follow after Jesus. So we should not be surprised when we continue to see that today, correct? When we continue to see that happening in our own time. People who have clearly heard the word of God and seen his power demonstrated in their life still go with those opposed to the word of God. In fact, what do they do? It doesn't always go well. An attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews and their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They fled away. They left that town. They went to Lystra and Derby. But what did they do? They continued to preach. It did not always go well for them when they proclaimed the good news, but they continued to proclaim the good news. They continued to preach the gospel there, verse 7. Why? Why do we continue to proclaim the gospel? Why do we continue to teach the Word of God? Because the Word of God demonstrates to us the good news of Jesus. The Word of God tells us about the Savior who has come to redeem us from sin. And so if we decide when things get difficult, well, we're going to go do something else. 
It's going to be hard, so we're going to, we're going to go and, and change what we're doing because we need, to, we need to do something that appeals more to the masses. Friends, it was the masses, the masses gathered together to stand against the apostles, to stand against the teaching of the Word, and to stone them to death. We are very quick as the church. Church is just so very quick to, to change what we're doing to more appease the people who do not believe. You know, at one point, we, we, we called an entire movement in the history of the church being seeker-friendly. But the reality is that people don't seek after God. God seeks after people. The reality is that we tailored ourselves to the people who did not know Christ. And we created worship for people who could not worship because they were not indwelled by the Spirit of God. What do the apostles do? They leave this area because they fled, because they knew that it was not time for them to give their lives up for the gospel. But when they arrived in the surrounding country, they continued to preach what? The gospel. They didn't say, okay guys, let's, let's tweak this message a little bit because we're tired of people threatening to kill us. If you look back, that's been a pattern, right? They stoned Stephen. They've given these other guys good beatings. They've ran them out of town. They've ran them out now out of multiple cities. We're about to see where they stoned Paul. Uh, stone Paul. Um, maybe, guys, it's time to change this thing up a little bit. Because it's not going so well. No. When they went to the next place, verse 7, they continued to preach the gospel. The good news is proclaimed through the teaching of the word. And if we treasure, if we treasure Christ most, then we, we will teach the word of God so that by teaching the word of God, the people hear the good news of Christ. Next, they come to a new town. They're going to do the same thing if you were guessing. In verses 8 through 18, we find out that the good news is in contrast to every other message. The good news is in contrast to every other message. Not some messages, every other message. They arrive in Lystra, verse 8, and they find a man who could not use his feet. He'd been crippled from birth and he had never walked in his life. And he is listening to Paul speaking, and Paul is looking at him, and Paul sees that he has the faith to be made well. And Paul says, stand up on your feet. And he sprang up, the Bible says. He sprang up, and he began to walk. This is an amazing moment. They healed the man through faith, and the town is excited. Again, what had we just seen in the last town? God had performed works through them and it divided the people. So now they come to this town. They heal this man who has never been able to walk in his entire life. He gets up. He begins walking around and everyone gets excited. The crowd saw, verse 11, what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices and they say in their native language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. We got a problem. It was good that they were excited. It was good that this miracle had grabbed their attention. But we've got a problem. They give the glory to the apostles. 
they give the glory to the apostles. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they began to try to worship them. We're told that Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Even the priest of Zeus, he comes. His temple's near the entrance of the gate, we find out in verse 13. He brings oxen and garlands and he wants to offer sacrifice to them. Everyone is excited, but they're excited for the very wrong things. They proclaim them to be gods. And this is the type moment that some of us long for in life. We long for the moment where people recognize us. We long for the moment that we finally get the recognition that we believe we deserve. Think about this. Paul and Barnabas have been proclaimed deities. They have been proclaimed gods in a city that loves to worship false gods. There's a temple right near the gate for Zeus. They are ready to worship them. They want to offer sacrifices. The gods have come down to us. And I'm telling you folks, many of us long for that moment in life where we get the recognition that we believe we so richly deserve. And many of us, when we get that opportunity in life, to go to that moment that we wanted to, that wanted to go to, that we wanted, we've longed for, we take full advantage of it. When a time comes, when, when we can receive the glory, we take it. But look what they do. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed to the crowd. They tore their garments Because they had heard blasphemy happen. They had heard the heresy of them being proclaimed gods. And they deflect the glory. But I'm telling you, we struggle with this. Because when you think about this this list that we looked at at the beginning. This list of what do you value most in life? Family and career and home. There's something that, that I don't see on that list. But there's something that is at the root, the root of all of our sin. What should have been on the list at number one is that we value us. I had a guy that that used to kind of intern for me at a previous church. And and the expression he would use is, I like me some me. That's us, right? We like ourselves. That's why the Bible says, you treat your neighbor what? Like yourself. Why? Because for the most part, we treat ourselves pretty good. When I get hungry, I go get myself something to eat. When I'm cold, I go get myself a blanket. I take care of myself. Now you say, well, pastor, you're a little big to say you're taking care of yourself. I didn't mean like that. Actually, I got this way because I like me some meat. Some chocolate, some sweet tea. Some cheeseburgers, they make me feel good. I like me, some me. And friends, that's where we all are. We really love ourselves. That list of things we value most probably should have every, every single person should have sounded 
said me. I like me. These men had the opportunity to be worshipped as gods. They talk about how men and women are very different, and they are. One of the things that men like most in life and want most in life and need most in life is respect. And here's the pinnacle moment of taking in what we desire most in our heart. And they tear their garments and rush into the crowd and throw their hands up and say, no, no, we did not do this. This was not us. We did not make this happen. They deflect the glory and point the crowd toward Jesus. Men, verse 15, why are you doing these things? We, are also, we also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. In other words, we are sinners like you. Our nature is like yours. Our desire to worship, worship falsely is like yours. But we come to bring you good news. That you should turn from these vain things. In other words, turn from this sin. Turn from this idolatry. Turn from this false worship. Turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They point them toward Jesus. In past generations, they say, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. They tell them about Jesus. They tell them about the common grace that they have. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God provides for people who do not love him. In fact, God provides for people who thumb their nose at him and hate him and reject him. God still provides for them. He gives grace even to people who are undeserving of it. They deflect and point toward Christ. You know, it's interesting what happens. We would think here, Again, we would hope that, that just everyone would fall on their knees and repent and believe. Verse 18 says, Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Think about this. The object of your worship is two men. You're going to bow down before them. And the two men say, listen, we are not gods. We are normal people like you are. But we want to tell you about the true and living God. And yet, you still find it necessary to worship the very people who have said, we're not gods. Why? Because people often want to stay within the false framework that they have instead of giving their glory to God. People want to stay and, and worship the things they've always been worshiping even when those things fail them. The man who worships money, he continues to worship money even when he's lost it all or he's gained it all and found that it brought him no happiness. The, the, person who, the person who worships family, worships family even when it all falls apart. 
People want to continue worshiping false things because our heart is inclined away from God because of our sin. And we as believers need to understand that this message we have, this good news that we have, this thing that we treasure most in life is in contrast to every other message. And we've got to continue proclaiming it even when people reject it and continue in their falsehoods that have been proven false time and time and time again. How hard were the hearts of those who were trying to worship them? They were quick to worship something that was false. And they were very slow and very stingy toward worshiping something that had been demonstrated as true. That's why we have to continue to treasure Christ above all. Because we want to be there in front of these people demonstrating our love for Christ when the things that they worship fall apart. Because they certainly will do so. People want to stay and continue doing what they've always done even when it's shown to them that the glory of God is so much better. They want to worship their idols even when they're convinced even when they've been demonstrated, it's been shown to them, it's been demonstrated to them that these things are false. The good news is in contrast to every other message. And so we must, to, we must continue to proclaim it. We must not water it down. We must not change it. We must not go along with the things of this world. We must demonstrate that the good news of Christ is better. A third thing. They're scarcely restrained from offering these sacrifices. And in verses 19 through 26, we find out that the good news grows believers into mature disciples in spite of the opposition it brings. This seems kind of hopeless. Verse 18, it's, it's discouraging, right? They, they've, they've proclaimed the gospel so clearly. God, God did something amazing in front of all of these people. And instead of giving God the glory for it, they, they worship their false gods. It's kind of despairing. And yet God is at work. Look what happens. Verse 19, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. You say, Pastor, you just said it got better, and they stoned Paul half to death. Well, it takes a couple of verses sometimes for it to get better. He's abused. He's left to die. This doesn't seem like anything good is happening. So when the disciples, look at verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, what does that tell us? Well, there's some disciples there, right? Something's working. These men who have been watching him, these disciples who have been watching him, they're growing. They're learning. They've seen in a very real way Paul demonstrate the cost of following Jesus.
They came to him, gathered about him. He rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And look what verse 21 says, when they had preached the gospel to that city. Now, wait a second, what just happened to him? They were going to stone him, so he left. He gets to the next city. They try to worship him as a false god, and he says, no, 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 you need to follow Jesus. And so what do they do? They actually do stone him. They thought he was dead. They threw him outside the city. The disciples gather around him. He gets up. He goes back into town for the night. He goes to another town. And what does he do? He preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Through Paul's suffering and Paul's persecution for the faith, many came to know Jesus. There's a church in Canada. The pastor just spent some time in jail because they're having church service. And you say, well, they were, they were violating the government. They were having a service like this. This week, the Canadian government showed up and put a fence around the church. Several layers of fencing, what I understood. And one of the things I read said that they were expecting record crowds this morning. And I hope they do. Now, if your first thought is, well, they should be listening to the government, you're not, not right. They're following protocols and doing those things, trying to keep people safe. They were being persecuted because they believed that they should gather to worship. And this morning, if record crowds show up, my hope is that they'll demonstrate that Christ is what they treasure most to those who are watching and news cameras and everything else. Because it's when Paul was stoned and left for dead they preached the gospel and made many disciples. Why? Because believers grow in spite of opposition when the good news is proclaimed. When we proclaim something else, when we make up some gospel, we make up some, some word from God to give people, it doesn't grow people. But when the word is proclaimed, the good news is proclaimed, people grow into mature disciples. God used rocks being thrown at Paul to grow him. He uses opposition to the gospel to grow believers. It's kind of like if you're lifting weights. The more resistance you have, the more you continue to grow. And as you grow, you can lift more. You can take more resistance but until you take that more, you're, you're never going to grow. If you stay at the same amount all the time, if you're always lifting 10 pounds, that's it. That's all it's going to be. Eventually, you've got to go to 15 and to 20 and to 50 and to 100 if you're going to grow. It takes more resistance to grow. And God uses His good news to grow believers during times of opposition. What do they do? They go from there... They begin to retrace their steps. If you look back and you begin to connect these cities, you see that he goes back to the places that wanted him dead. 
He didn't keep avoiding them. He went back. In fact, when they returned, this is in verse 21, to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, what did they do? They strengthened the souls of the disciples. They encouraged them to stay in the faith. They prepared them for trials. They appointed elders in those cities. They prayed and fasted with them. He had these five goals when he went back to these cities. Strengthening them for the time that was ahead because it was going to be difficult. How did he do that? Through the good news. Why did he do that? Because he treasured the good news above all. He encouraged them to stay in the faith. Why? Because some will turn away. Some will prove that their faith was not genuine. Guess what, friends? COVID is going to do that to a lot of people. It is going to prove that they did not have genuine faith because they got out of the routine of going to church. They never really had the desire to be with God's people. He's going to prepare them for trials. How might he do that? He might open up his shirt and say, look at these scars. Let me tell you about when they stoned me and drug me outside the city. If we're going to follow Christ, friends, Paul might have said, be prepared for this. He appointed elders in every city. Why? Because every church needed leadership to lead them through these difficult times. To be the men who would stand up and proclaim God's word. He prayed and fasted with them. He committed them to the Lord through this. If we look at a map, it might have been easier for him to have went straight back. But instead, he retraced his steps to encourage the churches. He backtracks. He goes back through those cities. Why? Because the good news is that important. It's worth going back to the places that hate you, the places that want you dead, the places where they tried to kill you. It's worth going back to those places to proclaim to them the good news of Christ. He backtracks. He goes through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From there they sailed to Antioch, verse 25 says, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. What do we find out in those last two verses? Or those two verses I just read. The journey was complete when the work was done. When they left originally, they had a plan, they had a strategy, they knew where they were going. When they went to those places, they were received warmly in some places. They were stoned in other places. But they came back in the end to the place that God had commended them to go. They went back to the start when the work was done. Friends, when is our work done? When is our work of of treasuring Christ done? Well, The Bible tells us to go and to make disciples of all nations. And if the good news grows believers into mature disciples when opposition comes, when are we allowed to stop? When the whole world has heard. When every nation, every tribe, every tongue has heard the word of God. Guess what? That's when Christ is going to come back. 
we continue to proclaim this message until he returns. We were at Southeastern Seminary this week, Abraham and Laura and Jason and myself, and in the Mission Center, which is the Jackman Simpson Mission Center, so you'll recognize the names from here in our county, here in our community. And on one of the walls, there's a television that hangs there. And it's got the numbers of the population of the earth. And you see the population growing quickly. And the population that has heard the gospel growing slowly. Very slowly. Our purpose is to ensure the whole world has heard. And we demonstrate that we treasure Christ above all when we are taking up that command to go and make disciples of all nations. And so our challenge is this. Proclaim the good news so as to be able to celebrate the good news. Look, verse 27, when they arrived, they get back, they have a church meeting, they gather everyone together and they declared all that God had done with them and how He'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. They're celebrating here. They celebrated all that the Lord had done on their journey. They celebrated because there were many people who had never heard the name of Jesus when they left who now knew the name of Jesus. There were many cities throughout the world that did not have churches when they left and now those places had churches. How did all of this take place? How did the good news get proclaimed? How did people go from darkness into light? How, how, did, how did they teach with such passion? How, how did they teach in the face of great opposition? How did they see people go from not knowing Christ to being elders in the church proclaiming the Word of God in that city? It's because when Paul and Barnabas left, they treasured Christ above all. He was their vision. And therefore, when they returned from this first missionary journey, they could celebrate, the church could celebrate, because God had done great things. Friends, what do you value most of all in this life? If it is something else, Know that you are valuing something that is inferior to Christ. And understand this, if we do not value Christ above all, if we do not value the good news that we have above everything else, the world will not hear. We will not see them come to faith. And they will have no hope final thought this morning do we have anything to celebrate if we do not treasure Christ above all we will not see people come to him and we will not have anything to celebrate together let's pray this morning
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and truth. We thank you that you love us, that you've given us new life. God, I pray that all the other things that we value so highly in this life, would be brought low in us so that we would value you above all. God, we we have been given such a great gift. You have bestowed upon us the great gift of salvation. The good news has come to us. God, help us to treasure it above every other thing so that as we go, We would go as people committed to you, sharing your good news with a world that desperately needs it. That we would teach your word so that your good news would be clear. We would teach your word, remembering that your message is above every other message. Your your word is above every other word. Your truth is the truth. There is no other. God, I pray that we would proclaim your good news to ourselves. We would proclaim your good news in the midst of this place. We would proclaim your good news to the world around us because we know that it is your good news that grows us into mature disciples. The reminder that though we sinned, you sent your Savior. Though we abandoned you and ran from you and disparaged you, you sent your Son to die in our place. That is the great love that you have for us. God, I pray that we would treasure you above all. God, for the one here who doesn't know you, God, call them today. Call them as Paul called those gathered who are worshiping false idols and worshiping the ways of the world. He called them and said, turn from that and turn to the living God. God, speak that to the heart of each person here who doesn't know you this morning. God, I pray that you would guide our time together. So we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing a final song this morning. I want to encourage you to respond to God's word. If if you're not treasuring him above all, today is the day to come. Come to him. Come come down to this altar and cry out to God. Say, God, God, help me to remove these things in my life that, that I treasure above you. God, let me treasure you above all. Treasure your son, Christ, who you have sent for me. Friends, if you will do that, so many of these other things that we worry about will fall into place. And if you know him, or rather if you don't know him this morning, if if you've never followed him, I remind you of what Paul said. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things. All of the things that you're doing You should turn from these vain things and turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Will you respond to his call this morning? If you never have, come and let me share with you how you can know Christ. Will you respond to his word as we sing this morning? Hungry I come
sun dry So I'll wait for you I'll wait for you I'm falling on my knees Offering all of me Jesus, you're all this heart is living for And broken I run to you For your arms are open wide I am weary but I know your touch restores my thank you for coming to worship this morning and pray that as you go your heart's desire would be to treasure Christ above all no matter what comes no matter the opportunities no matter the the fortune or fame that could be yours Christ above all else as we go this morning I hope that you'll stay for Sunday school uh, and uh, they'll be starting in just a few minutes adults in here and kids and youth in your classes uh, tonight and come back uh, for our Bible study that will be taking place this evening. And also remember our folks on uh, the marriage retreat as they're traveling back this afternoon as that finishes up today. So remember those folks as well. Let's pray together and we're going to be dismissed this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you grace, peace, and truth. We thank you for loving us and caring for us. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to follow you. You've called us to yourself. You made a way where there was no way. And so as we go, God, help us. Help us to set aside those things that are temporary. Help us to treasure you above all. We thank you for your grace and truth. And we pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen.